Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. Things you can buy for $5. A large cup of coffee and a bagel. Five tiny hamburgers. A pint of craft beer. Five lottery tickets. A couple of hours in a Boise parking garage. About five minutes in a New York parking garage. Enough gas to maybe get you to the next gas station if you're lucky. A month of a AAA membership to tow your car because you ran out of gas. And, of course, Saturnius Mons on ebook at Amazon.com, which is guaranteed to provide more entertainment value than anything else on this list. It helps support this little project, it keeps more books and podcasts flowing, and it will not leave you stranded on the side of the road with an empty gas tank and a head full of regret. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, book one of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author and Tyler Murphy. The story so far. Despite the animosity between the Urbano and Perfenduloi people, Isra managed to negotiate a truce among them to drive off the corporation. But it became clear that her work was already being undermined by her own people. Cronus, in a desperate attempt to save the ancient records within the city, negotiated the use of corporate computer systems for a price. Meanwhile, Vago, afraid that he would not be ready for the coming battle against the corporation, stole the Triple T Althea had taken from him earlier. Chapter 21 the global revolution made allies of people across ethnic, religious, and national borders. Men and women fought shoulder to shoulder with ancient enemies against a much greater threat. It made for wonderful recruiting propaganda. But in the sparse records from the era, one thing becomes clear. These alliances were ones of convenience. And as soon as the corporate threat was extinguished, hatreds going back to time immemorial would flare up with renewed vigor. From the Fall, the decline and failure of 21st century civilization by Martin Rath. This was, without a doubt, the most fractured military force in the history of warfare. Vago stood on a wooden platform in the middle of a kind of training camp for Urbanoi warriors. Each faction brought a hundred fighters, and they were segregated on opposite sides of the field, with a wide space between them. Looking out over the crowd, Vago felt like he was about to preside over a blood wedding. On the right, the Urbanoi warriors, with their long brown coats, clubs, and snares, stood in neat, ordered lines. On the left, the Perfenduloi, with their roughly sewn cloaks of animal fur, gathered in odd little clumps. There were two translators standing by the stage, waiting for Vago to begin the briefing, each standing in front of their respective sides. Vago nodded to each of them to indicate that he was ready to start. Kronos sat on the far right of the stage, fiddling with the metal device wrapped around his arm. Vago turned to him. Kronos, bring up the map. Kronos raised his arm in the air, and a holographic map of the area appeared in front of the crowd. They gasped at the display for a moment before Vago began. 
He waved at the spot, indicating the city. Okay, everyone, we are here. Our mission is to drive enemy forces away from the refineries here. Kronos closed his hand, adjusted the device on his arm, and raised his hand again. A new map appeared, showing a crooked line between the city and the refineries. Vago continued. We've discovered a set of maintenance tunnels that run between the Lagea city and the refineries. Before the attack begins, Halifax will lead Perfinduloi forces through those tunnels. They'll enter the pyramid. Several people on the Urbanoi side started yelling over the translators. Vago stopped. What the hell are they saying? The translator turned and shrugged. They see the pyramid is sacred. Perfinduloi defile it by being there. Vega removed his hat and rubbed his forehead. We'll tell them that their sacred spot just happens to be right on top of a covert path to the refineries. This has got to happen to keep the outsiders from destroying the whole Kiasan world, so make peace with this now. Vago paused while the translator relayed the message. The people who spoke up didn't look pleased with the response, but they kept it to themselves, for now. Vago continued. Once the strike force is in position, the attack can commence. The holographic map zoomed in to show just the refinery and the debris field in front. Myself and Isra will lead the Urbanoi attack. You will take up fortified positions in front of the refineries. You will take those guns that Perfinduloi got and use them to draw out. Vago's words were lost in another uproar, this time from the Perfinduloi side. Vago stopped and glared at the people shouting, What is it now? The Perfinduloi translator looked up at Vago. They say those guns belong to them. They will not give them to those murdering... A pitched screaming match cut off the translator's words. Both sides yelled and made rude gestures across a strip of grass separating them. Before things got out of hand, Vago interrupted with a loud, shrill whistle. Hey, let me go ahead and end this debate right now. Those guns that you're arguing about, they ain't anyone's. We brought them. They're ours. He pointed at the Perfinduloi. You folk went and stole them from us. Now we ain't holding a grudge, but the fact is we're taking them back and using them how we see fit. If you want our help to fight these bastards, that will be the end of that discussion. Both sides, again, looked temporarily mollified. Vago uttered a few Martian curses under his breath and continued, One more time. Urbanoi, dry out the soldiers. Once that happens, the Perfinduloi begin their attack. All you got is spears and arrows right now, and that will have to do. But as soon as you can, you pick up a gun from the first body you happen on. This attack should create enough chaos in the ranks of the enemy that they'll be forced to fall back. Once that happens, the Urbanoi move forward and join the assault. Y'all shoot everything wearing blue until we drive them to the sea. Kronos closed his hand, and the hologram disappeared. Vago took a breath and stood with his arms akimbo. Alright, any questions? The courtyard erupted in the cacophony of a hundred people trying to shout over each other. Vago stood silent until the crowd quieted down enough for one of the translators, the one for the Urbanoi, to inform him on the general consensus. My people want to know why the Urbanoi must attack from the front. It is dangerous and more suited to the likes of Perfinduloi. This created another uproar on the left. The translator jumped on stage. See? See? This is why we should keep the weapons. What is to stop them from killing our people once they are no longer useful to them? The Urbanoi translator rebuked. We never have need for low people like Perfinduloi. The Vengantu will save us during the eclipse. At this point, even the translators started screaming at each other in their native language. It was chaos. 
pure, distilled chaos. And Vago had to lead it into battle. Vago unholstered one of his guns and fired it into the air. The shot silenced the entire crowd. This is the reality of the thing. The plan is a plan and there ain't no arguing it. Your leaders, the Houston and Halifaxo, already signed off on it. So that's what is happening. Now y'all got some work to do. I suggest you do it. The translators finished their work and the crowd shuffled off with all the energy and enthusiasm of a child being sent to the corner. Vago passed Cronus on his way off the stage. Cronus removed the device from his arm and beamed at Vago. I think that went well. Jesus, Cronus, groaned Vago, shaking his head. I don't know what universe you lived in, but help a fellow with directions. It seems nicer there. Excuse me. The Martian warrior walked off the stage and left the training grounds as the soldiers prepared for battle. He walked down the city streets for a few meters before slipping into a narrow alley. When he was sure he was alone, he removed a capsule from his coat and stuck it between his molars. He bit down and breathed in, letting the triple T flood his brain. This operation was going to be a disaster, but at least he'd be good and sharp so he could watch it fall apart in vivid detail. Vago crouched in the grass behind a massive boulder a few meters from the refineries. The last of the Urbanoi warriors settled in position behind a slab of stone and awaited orders. Isra crouched next to him, peering through the scope of a peasant gun. Vega whispered, See anyone? Just one. He is standing on a catwalk a few hundred meters back. He does not appear to have seen our approach. Vago sighed. Well, that was a small miracle in and of itself. One of many that would be necessary to pull off this assault, but a necessary one. Vago put his fist in the air, a ready signal for the other squads. One by one, the appointed team leaders assembled behind various pieces of cover raised their fists in the air in confirmation. He dropped his fist and pulled up the sleeve on his jacket to activate the communicator on his aero suit. Before they left, Kronos gave Halifaco a handset that linked into the network. Halifaco, asked Vigo, are you in position? There was static and Halifaco's voice. We are. We wait for attack signal. Looks like we're all ready. You got that guy in your sights, whispered Vago. I do, said Isra. Drop him. Isra squeezed off a single shot. Somewhere far away, there was a soft plop of a body hitting concrete from a long way up. Isra reset. That worked. Two more marines are on the ground investigating. Here it goes, thought Vago to himself. No turning back now. He took a deep breath. Drop him. Isra squeezed off two more shots. Urgent yelling echoed off the metal inside the refinery. Isra squinted through the scope. I see five of them now, and more coming out every moment. Take down as many as you can, said Vago. He looked in both directions at the groups of Urbanoi warriors armed with peasant guns, crouching behind rocks and blocks of concrete. Every one of them gripped their weapons with a white-knuckle intensity. Their eyes darted back and forth from Vago to the battle just beginning in front of them. He called out, Stay calm! Wait for my signal! Isra unloaded a couple more shots, and the Marines started shooting back. Within a few seconds, the air crackled, with the sound of rifles firing and the high-pitched whine of bullets ricocheting against concrete. Isra knelt down against the block and switched the gun from sniper mode. She closed her eyes 
took a couple deep breaths, and said, That did it. There are more than twenty now, she said, talking much faster than normal. Vago nodded and waved his hat in the air. As soon as he did, the air exploded with noise, as every Urbanoi with a gun opened fire at once. The marines emerging from the refinery sought cover from the storm of bullets, and several fell dead before they could find sense to react. Given the rate of fire and time to reload, Vago estimated that they could sustain this assault for only a couple minutes. He activated the radio. Alafaco! Now! Attack! Now! Vago turned off the transmitter and pulled his guns. Seconds ticked by. He peeked over a rock and fired a couple rounds. A marine crouching behind a pipe dropped backward. Nearby, an Urbanoi warrior fell backward, howling in pain and clutching his collarbone. Vago dropped down and Isra inched up to unload a burst of automatic fire. Then she dropped back to reload. Got three of them. Vago paused for a moment and peeked up over the rock. There was no change in the rate of fire from the other side, no sign of disruption. Despite the heavy casualties they were inflicting, there were nearly twice the number of marines assembled now as there were just a few minutes ago. It seemed like, for every one that dropped, three ran up to take their place. Vago squeezed off a few wild shots before ducking back down to safety. Already the battle was taking a distressing direction. Urbanoi fell at an alarming rate. A quarter or more were already dead or wounded. One position was already out of ammunition and cowering behind a boulder. Vago took a deep breath to steady his nerves. He inched up and emptied his guns. Three advancing marines fell dead. Several more seconds went by, and still nothing. Isra raised herself into a firing position, took a deep breath to steady her shaking hand, and unloaded another burst of full automatic fire. She dropped back down and ejected the magazine. I am out of ammunition, she said, throwing it away. Vago looked at his Eros display. It had been a minute and a half, and still no sign of Halifaco and the pincer attack. Maybe he had been delayed. Maybe that force ran straight into a marine ambush. Most likely, Halifaco realized that both of his enemies were about to slaughter each other, and all he had to do was wait and pick the bones. Either way, it was over. More and more squads fell silent as they ran out of ammo and were pinned down by the marines. It was going to be a bloody retreat. Then, something changed. The constant barrage from the marine side dropped off, and frantic yelling could be heard above the short bursts of gunfire. Vigo reloaded and peeked his head up. It was hard to see exactly what was happening in the thick mass of pipes and steel that was the refinery, but he could see enough. The left side of the marine line was nothing but chaos. He could see flashes of savage brutality as the Perfenduloi warriors attacked. They used spears, arrows, hell. He caught a glimpse of a man in a dark gray fur cloak, caving a marine's head in with a piece of pipe he found on the spot. As they picked up the fallen soldiers' guns, the firefight continued from a new direction. Vago got to his feet and waved his hat in the air. This is it! Forward! He and Isra scrambled over the boulder and charged at the refinery, with the remaining Urbanoi force following close behind. The next several minutes were a blur of blood, horror, and violence as the corporation line crumbled like a sandcastle in a hurricane. They drove them all the way back to the Legia Mar and fought until the last survivors retreated to their ships and disappeared over the horizon.
there was a celebration in the great hall of the palace. Perfinduloi and Durbanoi alike sat around large tables, eating mammoth meat and drinking fruit wines. There were so many packed so close together that servants with plates of food and drink had to squeeze between the chairs packed with veterans of the great battle. The Houston and Halifaco made a show of the newfound alliance between the two peoples at a small table in front of the ornate throne. Isra, Althea, Kronos, and Vago sat around a slightly larger table off to the side, a place of honor in the victory celebration. The two leaders took turns raising a glass to the newfound cooperation of the Urbanoi and the Perfunduloi and to the forgiveness of all previous wrongs. On the surface, the whole party had an amicable feel to it, if not joyous. One without Isra's sensitivity to emotions would see a pleasant gathering between two peoples who differed in almost every conceivable way, a tepid coming together in the spirit of harmony, unity, or any other words that sounded nice written in a speech and delivered by somebody with really good hair. But Isra could see the truth. It was in the muted conversation all around her. It was in the physical distance the Urbanoi and the Perfunduloi kept from each other. And in particular, it was in the eyes of two of the Houston soldiers. Isra recognized them as Michelo and Alyssa, the two survivors of Vago's first attempt to take the city. They watched the proceedings with a burning resentment. It vibrated in the air like millions of rubber bands stretched to the breaking point. There was anger in this room. It was so thick and stifling that it made it hard to breathe. The Perfunduloi were angry at the Urbanoi for centuries of murder and slavery. The Urbanoi were angry at the Perfunduloi for their very existence, and the rebellion was the greatest insult of all. Waves of fear washed over Isra's skin and made her shiver. The rage made her bite down so hard her teeth hurt. The mistrust made her stomach turn so that she could barely get a bite of food down. Vago didn't have that trouble. He shoveled hunks of mammoth meat and roasted vegetables in his mouth at a rate that would choke most people. He was either oblivious to the mood in the room, or, most likely, simply didn't care at this point. Not enough, at least, to put him off his appetite. He stopped and wiped a smear of grease from his mouth. What's he saying now? Isra turned to see the Houston standing at the table, addressing the crowd in his signature ostentatious bravado. Nothing of any substance, said Isra. Forgiveness, strength in numbers, a new period in history for those willing to accept the will of the Compagnio. It won't last, will it, said Althea, absent-mindedly pushing food around her plate. As soon as we are gone, it'll all go back to the way things were. The Houston sat down, and now it was Halifaco's turn. His speech was about strength and unity, and giving thanks to the gifts of the Compagnio, and rising against those who would take them away, both from near and far away. Most likely, said Isra, still watching the speeches. But we have got a chance now. They have known a common enemy, and we have found something. What did you find? asked Vigo around a mouthful of meat. The button that'll blow this Kersan moon into a new set of rings? Because that's the only way these people are going to stop picking at each other. Isra gestured at Kronos, was staring miserably into a ceramic mug of fruit wine. He had barely touched a bite of the meat on his plate, but he had already sunk three mugs of wine. He shook his head. It means nothing. The truth now is the same as the truth then. 
This is not new knowledge. It was always there, always visible for one who had desired to see. Althea leaned forward. What do you mean, Kronos? What did you see? Kronos sighed and slid his goggles over his eyes and held out his right hand with a metal apparatus wrapped around it. They both lit up and a series of holographic images appeared over the table. There was not enough energy from the sun to make Titan habitable, so they used Titan itself as a source of energy. The refineries are not that at all. They are incubators, giant machines that take the building blocks of life and assemble them into simple microorganisms that the plants can absorb and consume to produce energy. Vago stopped eating, which is why the forest turned to bias the minute Laban shut them down. Kronos nodded. It also explains my illness earlier. My body reacted poorly to the microorganisms in the atmosphere. But the refineries have been off for a long time, haven't they? asked Althea. And who knows what bloody idiocy Laban and his goons were up to there. Can they fix it in time? Isra watched Talafako sit down. All the more reason we must be successful here. Kronos, are you ready? Kronos pulled the goggles off and looked at her with dead eyes. It was as if all the joy and purpose had been sucked out of his body, and Isra was responsible. Are we going to have a problem? Isra hissed. Kronos shook his head. No, no problem. You command. I follow. As you ask. Isra looked back at the Houston and Halifaco's table. He is wrapping up. Remember, just like we talked about. Kronos nodded obediently. Simple so everyone can understand. Explain the meaning of the thing, not just the function, the spirit behind the body. Close enough, said Isra, standing up. It is time to go now. Isra walked to the table and shook hands with both Halifago and the Houston. It was all mechanical and staged. On Earth, there would be photographers and hollow lenses capturing the moment so the entire world could watch and feel good about it. She walked in front of the table and nodded at Kronos, she could feel heavy resistance in his words and his actions, but he did as he was told. Kronos spoke, and Isra translated for the room. We have learned much from this world, not only about its people and the creatures that roam the surface, but about the deep mysteries from a time long gone by. What you call the Companio created the world. Before them, Titan was a cold, barren moon. The life you see around you was made possible by those people and everything they built serves that balance. I have found the complete instructions of the Companio, a way to maintain and improve the refineries. It is all connected. The city, the refineries, the forest, and the people that live among them. Destroy one, you destroy the other, and you destroy yourselves. Kronos bowed stiffly and went back to his table. He played his part well enough, better than Isra expected, she turned and walked back behind the table, stood in between the Houston and Halifaco, and held out two black disc-shaped objects. We give this knowledge to both your people, in hopes you will use it to learn and grow together, revive your world, restore balance, and live together. Halifaco and the Houston both stood to receive the gift from Isra. The room gradually erupted into a dull roar of half-hearted applause. Althea rose and walked to where Isra was standing. She handed Isra two hand-sized communicators. Isra turned to the two rulers and held them out. These connect to our communication network. 
if you should need or want to speak with us for any reason, you may. Both men took the devices, clasping Easter's arm as they did. Easter smiled and bowed to both the Houston and Halifaco, then returned to her seat. She sat hard, slumped down, and knew that it was not enough. It was never going to be enough. At best, they delayed the coming conflict. Or maybe not. As Isra sat and watched the Houston and Halifaco embrace, she couldn't help but feel doubt pricking at the base of her spine. She couldn't help but think that somehow she had just made everything so much worse. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, the first book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Broken Reality by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license.